This is Rheumatology Republic reporting from Eular in Madrid. I'm Felicity Nelson and I'm joined by Harold Schmidt, a professor of pharmacology and personalized medicine at Maastricht University in the Netherlands. Hi, Professor Schmidt. Hi, nice to meet you. So do you want to tell me a little bit about how big data is challenging traditional ideas about disease? Yeah, I think it all started with a seminal paper from the Barabaji lab and um, he did uh, what he called the disease It's basically the network of all human diseases. In his first paper in PNS he was basing it on um, common genes, so if you use all um, genes associated with diseases um, and all diseases you basically generate a network where the, the links between the diseases are common risk genes. But then since then similar so-called disease have been done um, based on comorbidities. So if two diseases very often occur in one patient there is maybe a hidden link between those diseases or you can also make it based on symptoms or on drugs. So if one drug works in two diseases, maybe that drug targets a common mechanism. And what we saw in these disease is that um, diseases actually cluster together, apparently by shared common mechanisms, shared symptoms, comorbidities. And the, the first astonishing thing was that uh, these diseases belong to completely different uh, organs and categories. So you might have expected that all cardiovascular diseases, all, all neurological diseases cluster together, but that's actually not the case. So, um, and that means that um, sort of the first thing we have to overcome uh, currently in medicine is um, that we have specialized too much. You know, there's not even the cardiologist anymore. There's the left heart specialist, the right heart specialist, the interventional cardiologist, the rhythmologist. And of course, it's, it's nice because then you are a total expert in a teeny tiny small area, but with this, with these disease silos that we have um, um, created, we have basically lost the overview of the entire patient. And apparently the, the secret to actually understanding diseases lays within getting back the sort of the 20,000 feet view again and seeing those connections because there actually lies the answer to the mechanisms. And if we're really honest, there's hardly any disease where we really, really understand the mechanism of disease. In most cases, we have to wait until symptoms erupt and then we treat symptoms, but we very, very rarely understand the causes of disease, except for rare diseases, of course, but for most common diseases, we don't. That's interesting. So it's like the map of diseases that you get when you analyze it by genes um, is completely different to the map of diseases that you get at a university in terms of like the specialization. They're just totally different. That seems really illogical. <laughs> and that does that sort of explain maybe why some diseases are so mysterious and difficult to treat? Yeah. And I think it also explains why GWAS or all these approaches that actually not delivered a lot of uh, therapies or diagnostics because we're using basically 21st century technologies on 18th, 19th century disease definitions, if we're honest. So um, this sounds all very nice and flashy and big data and future oriented. We also see that what we really have to do now, we have to provide clinical proof of concept. And we're doing that. Uh, we think in the moment that the, the fastest way of doing that is if you 
can, by this approach, find a new therapy for a disease phenotype that wasn't really treatable before. And uh, our sort of approach there is, if we have a cluster of diseases which are defined by a common hidden mechanism, but you have one drug that targets that mechanism, then you should be able to apply this drug actually to almost all patients with, this, with these disease phenotypes in this cluster because they all share the same mechanism. And that's what we're doing now. And uh, so we're doing lots of teeny tiny clinical trials only with 50, 100 patients stratified according to having both a symptom but also evidence that this mechanism is going on in this patient and we are quite optimistic of course that uh, by this approach we can actually provide a proof of concept and once we have done this in different areas of medicine so not only in rheumatology but also in pulmonology or in neuro neurology then I think then that's the tipping point you know then everyone will see okay yeah you have now nice idea but also you have the proof then we need to change and i think i've seen a few examples of that where a drug for one specific condition yeah. gets repurposed for a totally different condition i think uh the on example i'm thinking of is a, a drug for sort of psychiatric problems being repurposed for obesity because um, there's sort of similar mechanisms behind them and for asthma that was repurposed for eczema and it's yeah it's fascinating how that's um, exactly but so far these repurposings have been serendipitous you know and we are making them highly predictable so do you think this new conceptualization of disease is particularly relevant to rheumatologists who deal with diseases that affect multiple organs? Now, I think it's uh, actually relevant to every medical doctor. Um, so if you think of uh, rheumatology, patients actually don't die from rheuma. They, they die from their cardiovascular diseases. They have a 20-fold increased risk for myocardial infarction and stroke and so forth. So as a rheumatologist, you were your work already interdisciplinary and I think we will see more and more clinicians working in a kind of board type approach. You have that for cancer of course, tumor boards in a good hospital, there are now immuno boards uh, for instance in the Netherlands, in uh, Nijmegen and in Utrecht, um, no matter in which organ the patient has the immune symptoms, um, the patients are discussed together and I think we will see this uh, also in other disciplines uh, more frequently. And someone asked a question in the audience about medical education and do we need to reform it? Um, do you want to just elaborate on that point a little bit? Yeah, I think eventually yes, but I think first the medical proof has to come. Once this is there, then it makes sense and then you can easily convince um, those who design curricula, yeah, we have to really change our way we train our students and actually our doctors later as well. And so what research are you doing specifically on this area? Yeah. Um, I would, I'm a pharmacologist, but now we work very clinical. So we have been working uh, with classical animal models for, for many, many years. But we're now moving massively uh, towards a clinical approach. So we use big data. And um, of course, sometimes if you want to repurpose a little bit a weird drug for a new indication, you have to show that that probably briefly at the basic science level animal, but that's just an, a small interplay towards uh, a clinical um, study. Plus, I think the key gap that we have is 
to have the diagnostics that actually pick out the patients that have a symptom and a mechanism. Uh, that's the, the key thing to make our approach so precise and our clinical trials low cost also. So diagnostics and basically a molecular pathology, a molecular redefinition of disease, that's the key. So we are also working interdisciplinary, developing those diagnostics that can be used to stratify patients. And you mentioned a few times in your talk that mouse research is not very predictive. Um, do you think the big data could uh, replace mouse studies? I'm not an animal rights activist. I'm not against animal research. I think in, in some cases we really, really need it um, before you actually do something for the first time in humans. But I think this continuum, basic research, animal research, clinical research, I think this doesn't exist. It was a nice idea, but uh, there's a lot of unnecessary animal research done for papers, but not really for clinical translation. And I think for, for, for biology, it's fine. But in medicine, we have to, I think, we focus our intention that we have to focus on, on clinical research. And only if we need it, we do a little sidestep towards, you know, basic or animal research. But our focus has to be the, the patient. Great. Well, thank you so much for um, joining us.